When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week... The Mags kick off the season in style with a comfortable opening day win amid jubilant scenes. A day in the life, George goes behind the scenes at Revitalise St James's Park. And how long do you want? Eddie puts pen to paper on a new long-term deal. Yes, hello once again, this is Pot on the Tyne, I am Taylor Payne and you're very welcome along to this celebration of the start of another Premier League season for Newcastle United and what a start it was. Birds flying high, you know how I feel, sun in the sky. The cut back towards Wilson! Colin Wilson doubles Newcastle's lead. And he scores on the opening weekend for the third season. Of course, I'm joined as always by Mr. George Cogan and Flight Lieutenant Christopher Waffles. George, you all right? What a weekend, eh? Well, we're feeling good, aren't we? We are feeling good. Absolutely. What a start. It was everything everything we could have wanted and a bit more too. Grateful. Yeah, brilliant. Just great. I was slightly nervous beforehand that I'd built myself up a bit too much, that we'd all built things up too much, but... Turned out to be just perfect. Chris, you couldn't have uh, written a more perfect script for an opening day, could you, than that? I couldn't. I mean, you're so jubilant you've promoted me to flight lieutenant. I mean, that's not usually a... I'm in shock. That shocked me more than what I saw at the weekend. <laughs> that's fair enough. It's just your yeah, increments, Chris. You go up every year regardless. It's it, it's not performance-based or anything. So don't be getting, <laughs> <laughs> don't be getting ideas above your station. <laughs> 
What a wonderful weekend. Uh, I mean, we're going to get into it all, but just, just yeah. yeah, everyone was so energised, and I think, if anything, they've actually left the the weekend even more energized for the season ahead that that's that's the power of what happened on on saturday and it was it was certainly another memorable occasion yeah what a boost it is to have a to have a day like that to kick the season off with george this this piece you've written for the athletic uh it came out pretty much straight after uh the weekend and it's been brilliantly received by everyone uh i I absolutely loved reading it myself this morning uh a new dawn a new day for newcastle united and you were there with everybody behind the scenes this weekend Thank you. Yeah, I've wanted to do this for a while to sort of do that match day in the life of the stadium and to try and explain what the stadium means and what the club means through the people that work there, through the people uh, who come and watch the football. And of course, um, there's a very different feeling now around the place than there was a few years ago or even 12 months ago. And so I just wanted to tell that story. It was a lot, it was a lot of work, but um, I was with a few people who, who who work at the club. I was with War Flags, people behind War Flags on Friday night as they got ready for the display. The next day, I was spent time with the groundsman, Andy Tully, who's been there for 25 years, with Ray Thompson in the kit man, what, uh, the kit man in the dressing room uh, before kickoff. What a, what a privilege it was to, to sort of see the shirts hanging there, feel the sort of silence as it was there, knowing that that's the place where it kind of all happens. I was... Uh, I had some time with the head chef. Uh, I had some time with Serena Taylor, the the brilliant photographer, yes. and up in the the box as well, where the music gets played and and all that. It was just it was a proper privilege to be with those people. But yeah, I wanted to tell the story of 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 home. And yeah, I, I said one of the. I mean, War Flags have done so much for the stadium. We know that it's Matt Ritchie now talks about it as the Stadium of Flags, which I, which I kind of love and saying yeah. it'll be famous because of it. I was with them on the Friday night, and firstly, I asked Graham Robson and Thomas Concannon, one of our one of our friends of the podcast, why they chose those Nina Simone lyrics. It feels like a new yeah, dawn. Yeah. It really, really does. It's like uh, fourteen years of just nastiness and like yeah. and. And I'll be honest, George, I mean, I'll pack my ticket in and I, 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 it sounds bizarre. The thing the thing that I love more than anything, I started to hate. Yeah, yeah. Because of no, Ashley. And, and when we scored, I felt like a bit, like I wasn't happy, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, it's horrible, that feeling, isn't it? Yeah. And like, I, I couldn't, it was hard to like sort of work out in my brain what the hell was going on. I was so confused and I didn't want to come back. But then as soon as the takeover, it was just, it was, like a switch, it was just instant. And I love that. You know, I love that. It's diff- it is difficult. It is important to remind us of, of how it felt. You know, you're talking about Graham, someone who first came to the stadium in the late 60s and had a season ticket from 1974 onwards. Um, you know, that that relationship was strained beyond breaking point. Um, but the flags came back in for the Spurs game. Graham came back for the Spurs game. And of course, it's... Um, it's a very different feeling now. I love in that little clip, you can hear the echo of the empty stadium behind them. And um, we were laying the flags out and getting the banner ready and they broke for a slice of pizza and had a laugh. And it's just these normal lads and lasses, just great people, but they've done so much. They've done so much for the atmosphere. And um, yeah, a little later on in the conversation, we all started getting a little bit emotional and we talked about their relationship to that place, to the stadium. And this is what they said. Ah, oh, it's everything. It's the church, isn't it? I was brought up a good Catholic, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's just. I can't. I, I, I can't. I don't even vocabulary is good enough. <laughs> it, it, this is, uh, it's really hard to describe. But I, my life couldn't, I couldn't be without this. Yeah. This is what I do. Like the fixture list come out. I don't ever intend on missing a game home or away. It's just because it's what I do. It's what I've always done. I don't do the ways now. I used to do it like in the eighties. I never yeah, missed. Yeah. Uh, I don't do the ways now. It's just and I'm just working all the time, but. And what I've always said, though, it's always, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a very supportive and loving wife yeah, back yeah, home, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. always helps people in our scenario. But it's yeah. uh, this place is just uh, it's different. It's different from any other place you go in, in the country. Chris, the, the the dedication of those people and the the graft and the sacrifice, it's just monumental, isn't it? It is. I mean, they spend so much time there. What's great in the piece itself, there's a great quote from Graham where he talks about uh, how he was out for a meal with his wife in the middle of, of Newcastle <laughs> yeah. and a, a message pops up on his phone from the group of lads up at the, up at the, up at the ground and basically she says to him, you'd rather be there than here, wouldn't you? And he drops her off at home and then goes up and joins her. For the, that's, how de- that's how much they, they enjoy <laughs> what they do. But the, yeah. the attention to detail, Eddie Howe spoke about it 
it, and and so many of the players have talked about it, like the the, the way that that they have added to the match day, and it is now part of the experience. It is so important for what they do, and again, what a wonderful display on Saturday. I struggled to. I was trying to think the other day what my favorite display they've done so far is, and I, and I and I just remember another one, and then another one, and you forget how many they do and how much time they do put into it. So no, absolutely wonderful. It's astonishing. Yeah. There was, of course, a presentation for Derek Wright as well, friend of the show, who we had on not long ago uh, at halftime, uh, marking his 38-year service with the club. And a lovely moment there as he, as he got to, to greet the crowd and, and got a great ovation as well. Yeah, and the, what was nice about that is, and I suppose tying in with, with George's piece, is that, that Derek Wright had been such a long... So for so long, such a such a huge part of the club, and he is along with the other people who George spoke to, the likes of Vandy Tully, a groundsman who's been there for twenty five years, Ray Thompson, the kit man. These are absolutely essential to the running of the football club, and particularly match day, but also every other day. I mean, uh, described Ray Thompson was described by George as the hardest working man at the at the club. He does that much now, and these are the people who you don't necessarily know a lot about, but they they are the ones who make the whole club tick. They even when things weren't brilliant as they are now or seem to be now, they were the ones who have tied it all together and have allowed it all to to, to keep going in the way that it ha- that it is. And what I kind of love about about that and the and the the presentation to Derek Wright, how did that come about? Well, Paul Dummett got in touch with War Flags. Paul Dummett, who's a lifer at Newcastle um, in terms of playing all his career there, got in touch with War Flags and suggested it. And of course, it's like an absolute no-brainer. Let's do it. War Flags had gone in to see the the squad at the end of last season. They talk about how. Uh, emotional Trippier and Richie were with them and about how that and Jamal Lascelles offering to help and said he would be in touch so you have all those connections again I talked to Serena the photographer you know she's she's absolutely brilliant her job she she considers herself a tough woman and she sort of said you know this is my job you know I'm not really a football fan but then when I asked her about her relationship to the stadium she started weeping and she started weeping in reference to War Flags and what it's like when the stadium is full and full of all that emotion. And so what you've got there, yeah. you've got all those links. And that is so important because it's stuff we've wanked on about for ages on this podcast about how Newcastle had stopped being a club because a club is a collect- collection of people. And Newcastle wasn't. It was like a collect- collection of individuals. It's not that those people weren't doing their jobs to the best of their ab- ability. But when it came to the important stuff, to the emotional stuff, yeah. fans were there under sufferance. Staff were there knowing that there was, you know, that that there was a very, very low glass ceiling for what they could achieve. And people were being forced in separate directions. And now the emotion of a match day is because everybody is being brought together. And you feel that sense of power deep inside your soul on a match day. Just knowing you might not win that day. But you're all there for the same reason. And you're all in it together, win or lose. And, yeah, that's what I loved about those stories, that there were just those connections again. We've got it back. Yeah, I mean, reading the piece, George, there was there was definitely a, a sense of people being freed from the restrictions of the Ashley era and, you know, where, where 16th or 17th in the league was going to be good enough and there was no no light at the end of the tunnel for those people. But <laughs> the, the cheese board story stuck out in my mind as well when I, when I read that about them having to screw uh, table desks apart and, ch- you know, like little chair desks and pulling them apart to create cheese boards because the ones in the in the ground were, were falling to bits and it was a health and, da- health and safety issue well the mind this is a premier league exactly that's exactly what's going on here taylor that is exactly it you know that at that level you know the premier it doesn't get any higher than the premier league in this country i mean it is the absolute elite and you've got all these people at the club trying their best and it again it was a great reminder to me that it's not just about the first team it's not just about uh the staff is also about these other people around the club who want the best i mean serena as i say a great photographer she wants to showcase newcastle fans and newcastle players around the world so that they people can do what yeah. she did which was come from australia and to see st james's park and fall in love in her words you know that all these people are doing their best and yeah the cheese board story that that came from the from the head chef who you know, as a great fella, a Newcastle fan, he's got two boys who are season ticket holders. He's not watched a, he's watched ten minutes of live football over eleven years because his match day is spent um, going from kitchen to kind of kitchen to kitchen. And yeah, this this idea, you know, so there are some people who pay a shitload of money to come to St James's Park, 
and you know they go to they they've they've got their corporate sections they've got their suites and they pay for fine dining and so on and so forth and the club the club wouldn't give money for new plates um things like that and it's like well if you're if if you're charging people that amount of money and you're not able to kind of showcase yourself what is the point and yeah the cheese board the cheese the cheeseboard story is incredible. Minimum, che- the it? cheeseboards around the stadium falling to pieces, not being able to get replacements, and and the the head chef, yeah, using his own initiative, finding a storeroom, finding these chairs that have tables attached to them, probably from the press room, Chris, I'd imagine, and unscrewing them from a screwdriver he brought from home and refashioning them yeah. as cheeseboards because Mike Ashley's Newcastle wouldn't pay for new ones. Incredible. Yeah, astonishing. The effect of all this, though, Chris, and all of this additional energy around the club is that it rolls onto the pitch, essentially, doesn't it? You end up with the players having more investment in it. The fans are now more emotionally invested. Everybody sees everybody pulling in the same direction. There's no longer a battle there. And it must have an effect on the players. The players must realise the, the the club that they're fighting for and the fans that they're fighting for and, and how important it is to everybody around the club. And, and you know, it, it, it has to roll onto the pitch. I, I can't disagree. I think it I, it must, and it, it, it does. And you can see the players, when they speak about it, and Eddie Howe, who speaks about it, and when he first came in, his big model was was that we need you this unity is 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 our strength. That's where we're gonna. Then it was fashion survival from, and now it's build and and they've created that. It's not just been Eddie Howe, but he's obviously coming at a time when that was the the direction the club was heading in, and it is it is wonderful to see. And no, and I mean I. I don't want to do this because it's because it sort of pains me to pay credit to go to George, but I am going to pay credit to George on the end. Say that it was absolutely wonderful piece, which which nearly broke him, and this is the reason why he has beaten beaten me to St James's Park each of the last three uh, occasions. That's why he was at back to back friendlies almost against ah, his will. See, right, okay. Um, but he was no. It, it's sense. a very, very good piece. It really does capture that. I mean, you do you do learn so much about what you just you just take for granted as happens on a match day. But to hear that the head chef walks around for for, for that amount of time and to hear how the the sort of PA does his announcements yeah. and things like that. I know it, it was it was very very good. And actually, when we were in the press box on Saturday, I don't know if George will remember this because he was in a daze trying to write his piece at the time. But uh, someone did come up to us, I think it was at half time, and, be- and again thanked us for the podcast, which was very, very kind of them. Yeah, another fan who came in and thanked oh, us for the lovely. podcast. So, yeah. Uh, hello, hello to you. I didn't, I didn't catch your name, so hello to you out there. Just on Rob Byron, who, who is the uh, pitch announcer. I mean, yes, the thing is, if you get to spend, spend time with all these great people, of course, you hear, you hear stories. But I loved his about um, saying that he got the job through Freddie Shepherd. He was a club DJ and um, he DJed at Freddie Shepherd's winning. And so that was how he got asked to do the job in the first place, also 25 years ago. And he said at, he said at one point, Freddie Shepherd wanted him to put on the Cheeky Girls at the same time as, as local hero at the start. And it was, can you imagine Newcastle still running on to the pitch, to the, to the Cheeky Girls? And Rob made a very funny fella. He made the point, oh, said, girls, "Look, man, you've got a manager who boys, picks the team, and you don't interfere." Well, that's a that's a that's a different story. But you've got the manager to pick the team, and there's a reason you've got for that. Please let me choose the music. <laughs> I have to say, mine that is my dream job: stadium announcer at St James's Park. I'd like to officially throw my hat into the ring if Rob ever considers retiring. <laughs> I'd like to say here and now, I would love that job. Just sit up there, right? Then listen to this. <laughs> here we go. And then stick a load of Sam Fender tunes on. <laughs> he says that nobody ever believes him when he tells them that he's the he's the match announcer at St James. He says that there's only he's only got one way of proving it. He says, "Oh, go on then, say enjoy the game." So he does that. Like he's like, "Oh, fucking hell, it is you." Um, but yeah, and you have to commend his musical musical choices. Yeah, I, I said, like are, there, are, are there any no nos? And he was like, um, "Yeah, Queen. There's no excuse for playing Queen ever unless you, you unless you're champions. Unless you've the then it yeah. can be." Yeah, then it's we are the champions. Otherwise, no. We talked before, Chris, as well about the about the atmosphere rolling onto the pitch, and I believe we spoke to or you spoke to Dan Byrne uh, on Saturday as well after the game, and uh, he had a few things to say about the atmosphere. Yeah, like. emotional. Um, like I had me, my daughter and my son were there today, and that's the first time they've probably been at a game and stuff. So um, 
yeah, like it, it, it's emotional anyway. Like seeing seeing all the flags out, knowing all my family and friends are here and hearing all the hero and stuff. Um, but as soon as the whistle goes, it's sort of game mode. So. Is that how you waved out in the corner? Yeah, up in the up in the top at there. Like there was about ten or twelve of my family, that my brothers uh, back from Australia. I'd been over there for a few years. That's the first time I've seen us playing the Premier League for Newcastle. So um, yeah, it's just a proud moment for me and my family. So. Wonderful stuff, absolutely brilliant. Dan Byrne, oh, what a what a man. We're going to get on to talking about the match in a little bit, but uh, but Dan Byrne, I mean, he's he's just, I think he's living the Geordie dream, isn't he, Chris? It's fantastic stuff. He is. I mean, that was the first time I'd spoken to him since May when uh, I did the big interview with him, and no, he, he was he was he's still he can still he's still riding that crest of a wave. He really is embracing. Uh, life in Newcastle, I think that it's raised his levels. Uh, he's still playing on adrenaline to an extent. And yeah, he was saying how on Saturday, his, his brother, who lives in Australia, used to share a season ticket with, he was at the uh, Newcastle match at St. James's Park watching his brother uh, Dan play for the first time. His daughter and his son were both there for the first time together as well. And uh, yeah, it's such a special occasion for him, as a, even more so than, than for all the fans inside the ground. And that, that says something, because Saturday felt like such an occasion. It really did. Uh, we're going to get on to talking about that game in just a moment. But if you want to read George's magnificent piece on a day in the life behind the scenes... Uh, at St James's Park you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months right now uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all the great writing and ad free versions of The Athletic's podcasts that's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod sign up now come on you Maggie. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right then, chaps, on to the game. And uh, anyone who was worried we'd lose our momentum over the summer would have been greatly encouraged uh, by the result and the performance. Chris, all the same characteristics of last year's winning run, plus some improvements as well. It was a good showing from Newcastle, wasn't it? It was an excellent performance from Newcastle. I suppose the only thing, the only negative you can bring into it is the fact that they only won 2-0 because given the dominance that they had, given the amount of territory the amount of possession, the number of shots, the number of openings, not just shots. I think they got into a lot of very good positions. That was so encouraging, the way that they did take the game to Forest from the very first whistle. They pressed high. They had a higher defensive line than they've had in a, in a long, long yeah. while. I think they averaged yeah. winning the ball 42 metres from their own line, which was more than 15 metres from where it had been a year previously. Uh, they were trying different things. They had overlaps, they had underlaps. You had Bruno Gimresh in the middle, knitting everything together in the way that he does with some superb uh, passing and just just clever movement and clever use of the ball. And yeah, really, it was it was it it was excellent. I just think the only the only negative, as I said, is that it wasn't more than two nil and should have been more than two nil. But there was never. I know that there was probably different for fans in the stand, but I never felt Newcastle were under any pressure. Before they scored the first goal, it was one of those ones, and maybe it won't be the day in front of goal, but I never thought that they were going to concede, and when they went ahead, I never thought they were going to let that go, because they just seemed to know what the game plan was, they seemed to be supremely well drilled in how they're trying to play, and then they enacted out on the pitch, and that was that was what was wonderful to see. I haven't seen a Newcastle team that dominant, George, for a long time, but I mean, Forrest weren't great, were they? But they weren't allowed to be by Newcastle. No, and it was that was a question, that was a question I put out on... Uh 
on Twitter as well. I mean, when were the last time Newcastle was so dominant at home? I mean, a couple of people mentioned Arsenal at the end of the last, last season. Now, I, I think that was an astonishing occasion. And I think the more I think about it, arguably the best that I've ever witnessed at St. James's, just for all the for all the stuff around it, um, you know, but mainly the noise. But I don't I don't sort of I think the, the atmosphere was part of what got to Arsenal and Newcastle were brilliant, but they weren't dominant in terms of that in terms of everything. They weren't dominant in terms of the ball and possession. And for so long we've been used to sort of seeing Newcastle shy away from the ball. We saw a little bit of a uh, move away from that in the in the early weeks and months under Eddie Howe, gradually trying to shift it. But Newcastle were dominant everywhere, you know. And yeah, that the thing about Forest was was interesting because I thought it was a brilliant first fixture. Um, just as a not not as you know, from a neutral perspective, I would have wanted to to watch that match to see. And I kind of half thoughted thought that Forest would kind of come into it. Um, all guns blazing, but it was it was the it was it was kind of the opposite. They looked very disjointed, and Newcastle imposed. They've got them. a lot of players, though, haven't they, George? They've yeah, got yeah, an awful lot of players, and you can't expect that all to gel within a couple of weeks. No, it's an interesting. I've sort of said this a little bit. Perhaps you know we've heard Scott Parker in the last kind of couple of weeks talk about how he's not signed. They you know they'd not signed anybody at Bournemouth, and he was really worried about that. But then you see the Fulham performance and then you see that Bournemouth performance. And I think sometimes when you come up, that momentum actually carries you through. And if you've done what Forrest have kind of had to do in some ways because of the amount of loan players they had last season, they've changed things so much. Does that momentum maybe slide away from you a little bit? Perhaps it perhaps it does. But no, Newcastle made them look ordinary as well. They didn't give them any, any peace, any rest. And, you know, we talked earlier about the atmosphere of the day that was just enhanced by the team so often you know so often the the team have have taken away from the atmosphere in the past or whatever but those two things went together it was just it was so encouraging to see and it was good to watch it was. and that's that's like worth repeating newcastle were good to watch yeah 100% <laughs> I want to disagree with you slightly, though, in terms of with Forrest, because Forrest were abysmal, and Newcastle did contribute to that. But it will be interesting to see how Newcastle take that forward. You know when you beat what's in front of you on the day, but I've seen a lot of teams at Newcastle, even Newcastle sides in the last four or five years, who sat very deep, and that that's the way that they've played, but that they've made a low block. Forrest played with a low block, and I've never seen a team play with a low block, and yet managed to create so much space for the opposition regularly on both sides, certainly in the first half. Why is, that disagreeing with, why, why is that disagreeing with me? In terms of you you saying that, that Newcastle made Forrest better, I think Newcastle did contribute a lot to that, but I also think Forrest were just very poor in general. I think they were massively off the pace for a Premier League side, and I think they just weren't very well drilled at all, and that played into Newcastle's just, hands just, as well. I think it was a bit of both. You're just disagreeing with me for the sake of that. You've effectively just it's said so much I, I use the word abysmal. It's adding something extra. It's not yeah. a disagreement. Fine, yeah. If we'd said Forrest were amazing and we were amazing, then fair Chris, enough. I think you're abysmal. I think you're abysmal. <laughs> And you'd be right. right. <laughs> hey, pedantic point. Well, we'll disagree anyway, to agree to differ. I think one of the things we can agree on, Chris, though, is that that midfield trio uh, really asserted their dominance in the middle of the park. And it was the, the heart of the performance was born out of that midfield, wasn't it? Bruno, Joe Linton and Joe Willock as well just looked imperious on the day, didn't they? They did. And I particularly want to give a shout out for Joe Willock because before the game, I think he was... Maybe one of the players who, and myself included in this, people thought was maybe a little bit fortunate to start because Sean Longstaff had been very good during pre-season. If John Joe Shelby had been fit, not sure that Willock would have started either. But he was excellent. He covered so much ground. He did. Carried a yeah. lot of ball, made a lot of runs, overlapping and underlapping runs. And they really complemented each other nicely, those three. Bruno sitting deep is slightly different to when Shelby's there. He plays in a different way, but he's just so composed on the ball. Uh, he, 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 those passes he played in, particularly to Almiron on the who was yeah. the little threaded through balls, and then he's 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 even controlling the ball in his own box and calmly just jogging across when other players would try and boot it clear. And then and then on the other side, you've got Joe Linton and his just energy and power and athleticism, and yeah. And he just seems to get better every week in that in that role. He does. I don't think they'll come across a more pedestrian midfield all season. I thought Jack Colback was far and away Forrest's best player, and I didn't even think he was great. But I think the rest of it. But equally, 
that Newcastle's midfield smothered them and, and they made Forrest really, really struggle and suffer all afternoon. And that that was where Newcastle's victory came from. That was the root of it. They did. And Joel Linton was box to box constantly, wasn't he? And a, and a powerful presence in the midfield. He was receiving the ball from all angles under all kinds of pressure. And I think I can only remember one point when he relinquished possession and, and it was blown up for a foul as well. Uh, Joel Linton was just astonishing. And, and Bruno as well, George. We have to talk about Bruno. Yeah. There's I- something about that, lad. Sorry, I don't mean to jump in as you're, as you're, as you're about to pull the trigger. But um, there's something about that, lad. He's got... He's got it, hasn't he? He's got magic. Yeah. There's just something about the way he plays football, which is on a different plane, a different level to anything I've seen. It's like he's playing chess two moves ahead from the other players in the midfield, and it's it's amazing to watch. I absolutely love him. I'm in love with him, George. I'm in love with him. I don't think we've seen a player like him for a long time. Um, and no, you, you make that point. Alan from work on Match of the Day made that point too, showing those little clips of him on the ball and then looking up or looking backwards to scan what was around him, to see what's in front of him, and and then he's capable of playing those passes. We said it last season, when Newcastle have players at the same level of him, Newcastle will have a very, very special team, and they've already got the hallmarks of a good team. And, yeah, no, I mean, Jalinton, you mentioned Jalinton as well, yeah, fabulous. And he did, for, I think it was for Wilson's goal, wasn't it, where he, he started the move, through that physical presence, winning the ball, and then he played the pass that Wilson converted, showing both elements to the match. Yeah, that was um, that was very that was very special. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to talk about. I mean, we spoke about Dan Byrne already, but him and uh, Fabian Shea at the back a, a little bit of a surprising choice. Maybe some people thought Sven Botman might have been the one that got the nod. Uh, George, it was uh, it was it was great to see Fabian Shea uh, taking his goal so well. What an absolute rocket that was and a carbon copy of the goal against Burnley as well that he scored a few years ago under Rafa. Yeah so at this point as Chris has given me some grudging praise I suppose I've got to return the favour now because um, Chris did has talked and written um, and 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 suggested that uh, Dan Byrne might keep his place. I sort of thought that uh, after a full pre-season unlike in January where Bruno, Bruno came in and was then sort of integrated into the team um, I thought that Botman would start um, having sort of been around and played all summer, but Chris Chris got that spot on. Um, but it's fair enough; it does set a it does set set a bit of a tone, that doesn't it? I mean, he is Botman is the poster boy for what they've done this summer. Um, great things expected of him, um, but he's had to earn he's got to earn his place. And Byrne didn't put a foot wrong, and you know, so that so that that does set a tone. I mean, it does set a tone. He will get plenty of football, Sven Botman, but um, you want, you know, it's not just about players coming in, keeping their place, you know, because of reputation or whatever. They've got to earn it. And if you have that across the pitch, then you're only going to get better. And it's what good play- players want. So, so fair play to Chris. You called that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, how about that thunder bastard from Fabian Cher? What a goal. It was a wonderful goal. I quite liked Howe's description afterwards where he basically said that when Cher had the ball and he, and he shaped a shoot, he thought that it was the wrong decision. And he was going to, he was basically, <laughs> he's probably going to make one of those notes on his tiny little notepad that he's got to say, yeah, oh, d- yeah d- d- don't him. do that again. And he said, but. Jason, have a word with him. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I, I, I think it was a good word that he used to describe Cher. He said, Cher can do the unorthodox. And that's what he, that's what it was. As you say, that, that, there's a few people who've clipped up that goal and the Burnley goal from a few years ago on social media, so and they, they are almost identical. It is, it is, it is astonishing the way that they hit. Even running away and doing the celebration as well. It's exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, exactly. And also the they also hit the almost identical part of the of the post and, and to, to go in as well. It was a, yeah. it was a wonderful strike, and, and Newcastle sort of have needed that for all for everything that they've done up to that point of the game. They did lack a, a little something in the, in the final third in terms of. The final ball, the final decision, where they were, and that just liberated everyone and just released. If there was tension starting to build at that point, that just that just released it all, and 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 they, and they really needed it. And 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 we'll get onto it in a second. But then Callum Wilson's finish was just absolutely sublime as well. So, I've I've still got no idea how he did that. Yeah, it's it was ridiculous. I know he's meant it. He has meant to do it, hasn't he? But just the. The gymnastics of the whole thing and the way he's flicked his foot at the ball and made it go because it hasn't gone up over the keeper really high. It's kind of just looped past him 
Yeah, it's 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 very clever. It's like using the pace of the ball. You know, it's it's like a cricketer yeah. sort of guiding guiding the ball, not trying to hit it hard, but just like, down the fine leg. Yes, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's and it's so beautiful to see. Um, and it's 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 speed of thought. That's one thing. I mean, sometimes I have speed of thought, but then it takes like my body two and a half months to catch up to what my brain thought and it's that sort of instantaneous thing where you can picture it in your own head and execute it at the same time um and um you know there were some there were some great moments from from Wilson he is a quality player we're just all absolutely keeping our fingers crossed that he has a full fully fit season but what a great what a great start you know he's talked about um you know the odds are against him perhaps to 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 make the England World Cup squad but that's a that's a great start Callum opening day Wilson we should call him Chris three three in the last three years in, on opening day and at, at that top end of the pitch as well Alan St Maximum was tricky and he he ploughed for us all afternoon and he had a good go and, and Miguel Almiron similarly but the, the the final product and that last decision and the last ball into the box was just lacking at times wasn't it and that's what we were talking about earlier on when we said Newcastle could have had four or five but it just wasn't quite there at times now you've come to me because you want me to stick the boot in an Almiron again don't you you've, you've, you're trying to Tease? Are you trying to tease? I don't you want to stick the boot that? in, but not. I'm not going to stick the boot in, but but well, you will. <laughs> I'm going to say I, I was very impressed for large stages of what Sam Maximan did. I thought that there was a real sense of purpose about him. Large spells on Saturday, certainly first half. I think that he he had space to run into, but he used the ball well, and he he was willing to move it on rather than just do his tricks and flicks. Almiron, I thought, until the actual final decision, was very good. I thought his running was very good. I thought he got in behind very well. He led that press. Those outside-in runs that he was doing yeah. for Bruno to play the ball through, they were great. They were, and, and so that that's where you can see the confidence flowing through his veins. Just that issue that, that I mentioned last week and that I still want him to see is that final decision. There was a few times where yeah, they used his left foot when he should have used his right or the ball wasn't right. There was a few times Wilson was shouting at him here and there, the ball should have been there or I wanted it here. And that, I mean, Wilson only had six touches first half, so the two of the the two wide players, as well as they played and the other attacking players, they didn't get Wilson in the game enough, and he didn't get himself in the game enough. And that's what Newcastle need to, need to work on. They need to use him more, and that's why I still think that they need that extra something in terms of ingenuity in the final third. But they'll need that, I think, in the transfer market. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and also, uh, Eddie Howe was asked about expectation management as well, and quite a refreshing answer from him. Let's have a listen to that. Um, yeah, it's been a, a well-used question throughout the summer. I'd, I'd say yes, of course, we have to be um, considered in terms of our expectations. But I want us to dream also, and I want us to have the um, the belief going into every game that we can win. Love that. Yeah, love that, George. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, he's he's, he's kind of killed himself a little bit there by saying, yeah, yeah, expectation management, expectation management. But please dream. Um, but let's but, dream. But, yeah, dream big. But. In all seriousness, I love that. I love that too because for too long it has, you know, the expectation. It hasn't been expectation management. It's been it's it's been expectation crushing, and yeah, ticking along, ticking along, ticking along, and yeah, okay. It's you know, I think we all know that this is going to be. Uh, this is going to take a while. It's going to be an evolutionary thing. Newcastle are getting better. It's going to take a while, but at the same time. We can all dream. That's what we're in it for. It's the dream factory. It's the dream business. That's why you know we want to be able to picture Newcastle's captain, whoever it is, in a couple of years' time, a few years' time, lifting the trophy. That's what we want because you know that's the that's the ultimate, isn't it? That's the whole point of football, really. When when you come to it, so yeah, I love that answer. It's like stick with us, be patient, and we'll get there. We'll make your dreams come true. Absolutely, I think that's something we can all get behind. Uh, another thing we can probably all get behind is that Brighton at the weekend will prove a much sterner test for Newcastle, a, a, a well-established Premier League club, uh, and we'll be going down there. George, are you looking forward to that one? Well, I don't know if you're asking me that to get a to get a rise out of me. Um, no, to be fair, I actually not. really am looking forward to it, and I wonder if Chris <laughs> has a little bit of. I wonder if Chris has a little bit of self-loathing going on now that he's going to miss Newcastle's first away game of the season and I'm going to be there it's going to be a challenge logistically it's going to be a challenge for for Newcastle's uh, travelling supporters but on, honestly I'm like a kid again that is how I feel about Newcastle it is my job um, but I feel so happy and I feel so content about the way things are going I feel so excited about the games I felt emotional on Saturday 
I can't wait to see what happens in the first... I can't wait to see what happens at Brighton. Can you imagine me saying this even two or three weeks ago? This is not the George I know, Cogan I'm, I know. I'm really... This is I'm not really George. Look, I'm, honestly, I'm, I, I'm looking forward. I was looking forward to Forest so much, and I'm already looking forward to Brighton. And that is, you know, that's what football should feel like for us, for the match to finish, and can't wait to go back there again. You know, even if it's to put something right. Yeah. You know, just wanting wanting for the next fixture to come to come around. So I am actually looking really much forward to Brighton. Well, he didn't say thank you, but you're welcome, George. Fuck off, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm back with some good news. I'll be hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week. I'll be joined by the likes of Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Matt Slater and plenty more of The Athletic's brilliant journalists. And together, we'll bring you the best insight into the biggest football stories. So that's every single week, Monday to Thursday. And if you like what we do, then please follow and subscribe to The Athletic Football Podcast in all the usual places. Right, have you two sorted your differences out now, have you? I love Chris so much. I hope every time... So so a fellow came up to me. Chris wasn't there, actually, at halftime. And um, I won't name him, but he, he said some very nice things about the podcast. He said, you, you know, you mustn't... Don't don't bully Chris too much. And I said, yeah, I know, I know. It's part of our shtick. I'm so proud Chris is my colleague. I love him to bits. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, this is Joel. It's it's just it's just podcast persona, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah. It is. It's not the real world. Chris is actually very much the domineering force of this trio. Whenever we, well, uh, we meet hence why I'm going to the- hence why I'm going to Brighton. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right then, Chris. You uh, you asked Eddie how about the uh, the transfer situation after the game on Saturday. Any updates there? What's going on? Well, I, I'd asked him basically. It was only twenty four hours, thirty six hours since we'd spoken him before. So I'd asked him if there was an update, and, and there wasn't. But B, I'd said to him, did did Saturday change in his mind? at all what he was looking for and he said no I'm happy with the business we've done so far I'm happy with the squad but I still he he sort of said what I said before I still he said I still think we need that extra bit of quality and what he was referring to is in the is in the final third he wants extra options you looked at the bench on Saturday and it wasn't like Newcastle had a game changer to really bring on. He didn't turn to Elliot Anderson, who maybe could be that, but that would be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. doesn't have that attacking influence. So where Newcastle are is that they, House described it on Friday, is they aren't any further forward really since they made the last signing, which was Sven Botman was confirmed on July the 1st. And the Hugo Egger-Tike deal falling through really did affect them in that sense. James Madison, they made two bids for. Leicester aren't entertaining that. Leicester end, my understanding is they're adamant he's not leaving. Leaving. Yeah, I don't think Newcastle can match the terms that it would take to bring him, so I think that one's unlikely. Benjamin Sesko, uh, who's, who's someone else they've looked at, RB Leipzig, reports today that he's going to go to, to to RB Leipzig from Salzburg, so that there's, there's someone who might go over there as well. I think that it's looking increasingly likely that it may be Newcastle get one permanent and then maybe one loan signing later in the window. Someone like Armando Broya or others at Chelsea, my understanding is they've asked about others there. Other players at top six clubs as well but they are actively working Dan Ashworth is is actively working on that front and there is still a confidence that we'll bring in a couple of players between now and the end of the window and I do think that they need them On Dan Ashworth one one uh, very quick thing he did a tour of the press room and the press box before the before the match on Saturday and said hello to people which was which was good and which was nice um, so um, you know another sign of sort of the glasnost or perestroika one of those uh, phrases um, at the, that's going on at St James's and so um, you know so that's encouraging I did also last week after we did the podcast have an interaction with someone uh, someone at the top of the club just about where things stood just in very sort of general terms and there was that feeling of positivity that they're heading the right direction yes absolutely acknowledgement that there were maybe one possibly two players short but there was still time in the window Um it's it's a tough window for good players, for great players, and there's that feeling that things could still shake loose, and really just that 
just not not a plea for patience, but just that sense of, you know, we'll get there, we'll get there. And so as far as I'm concerned, they deserve that patience. And um, yeah, I think they will. I think they will get there. It's been interesting this week. There's been a sort of almost a slight light dusting of hysteria just sort of rippling through social media at times when people have been thinking about transfers and why haven't we done this and why haven't we done that and we have money to do this and why haven't we paid the money? How can we expect to compete if we're not prepared to pay the fees? And uh, it's 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 an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's you know there's all sorts of things that need to be taken into account. It's not as easy as just going and bidding for a player and handing the money over and getting him. And you know the club are very very aware of financial fairness play and the money that they've got to spend and it's not just the money they've got to spend now it's the money they've got to spend going forward in in the next window and the window after that and the window after that it's it's a long-term strategy and it's a process chris isn't it it's got to be it's got to be done carefully you can't just you can't just throw shit until some sticks and see what happens no and there's a very good thread on uh, swiss rambles twitter feed which i would recommend any newcastle fan to look at which goes into a lot of the financial restrictions that, that newcastle and other clubs face and tries to explain why they can't just suddenly spend uh, an ordinance amount of cash. Eddie Howe was very strong on this on Friday. He was towards the end of last season, and as George and I have repeatedly spoken about, and 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 as the owners themselves spoke about with George in, in February, there are restrictions which prevent Newcastle from being able to just spend all of that money. Eddie Howe actually said it could affect them for a number of years, and that, that they are having to be uh, smart. Is 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 the way that that he described in the transfer market, which is why they're looking at things like structured deals, loans with obligations to buy, because their financial revenue streams just aren't sufficient yet to be able to to support the, the where they intend to get to because not it's not just transfer fees it's also wages all of this impacts on what Newcastle can do and spend so as negative as that immediately sounds when you hear it they have spent the best part of 150 million already in on players in 2022 so they have invested they have done as what they possibly can they had to spend more than they intended to do to make sure Newcastle survived which they did but also the fact that Eddie Howe is willing to sign a contract extension at this stage shows that he recognizes the ambition is there that he is a I don't I think that there would have been a lot of clubs who would have been very interested in Eddie Howe given what he's done so far at Newcastle this summer he really has mm, yeah. gen- generated that excitement that was round him when he was doing really well at Bournemouth I think that's come back and probably progressed even further now he's shown he can handle it at a club in Newcastle's spotlight which is very different to Bournemouth and so for him to commit I think that is a very positive sign of, of, of the, that he recognises there is ambition it just has to be tempered ambition it has to be organic sustainable growth Yes, that contract extension for Eddie Howe George great news that isn't it and, and good to have that kind of solidity there as well Just very, very good news. Great to, you know, it's that little boost. Okay, they haven't signed anybody, but to get that news on Friday, the day before the match, just sort of lifts everybody again. Um, I suppose a personal sort of little um, frustration. I wish they would tell us how long that was for. I kind of, I can, I suppose I can understand the need for commercial sensitivity and things like that. But I guess if other clubs or England or whatever were circling, it wouldn't be very difficult for them to sort of find out. I would prefer to, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's too much really to sort of know how long it's for, but I mean, that is a very, very minor thing. I'm, I'm just delighted he settled right in. He's proven Absolutely. to be that all-in manager that we that he said he would be at the start. You can't criticise him for anything that he's done at the mm. last season was astonishing. And it's give, given given him and us and the team a bedrock to build on. I can't wait to see what the sort of Eddie Howe is like released from last season when it was about going from game to game, three points to three points to three points. Yes, at the end of the season, that, that sort of went away, but that was his only priority last season. And now we have a chance to see what uh, an Eddie Howe, who is still here to build, it'll still be a gradual thing, but sort of released hopefully from that tension tension and pressure let's see what he let's see what he can do and he's just chimed so perfectly with the with the fans and with the club and what the club needs to do right now it's just been it's just been a great story so far just on the length of of the of the contract there was a quite bizarre 
exchange in in Eddie Howe's press conference after the game on Saturday, where Simon Bird from, from the Mirror did ask about the length the, the, the length of the contract, and Howe said, oh, "I think we've termed it as long term, haven't we?" And then Simon Bird said, "Well, have you got a number on that?" And Howe turned to the press officer sitting next to him and sort of said, well, "Do we have a number on it?" And he replied, "With yeah, but that, that's between you and the club." And Howe himself seemed a little bit confused as to why it can't be <laughs> out there. So it's all it's all rather odd. Uh, we we are we are trying to to find out exactly how long it is, but for, that's for all of the people who are asking out there. It, the question has been asked it just hasn't been answered yet Chris I'd like you to find out something else for me as well can you put an end to the rumours that Jason Tindall has signed a long term deal with Tantastic on uh, Heaton High Street as well please I am um, that's all he's, 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 he's got to maintain that somehow he's all natural that's, that's all natural yeah. is it naturally mahogany I love watching Tindall on the touchline as well it's uh, it's like very funny he always he's always in the ear of the fourth official he's al- there's always like a little exchange of glances with the other bench there's a bit of that going on against Forrest he's he's a good solid uh, character on the on the touchline I hope we see I hope we get to see a bit more of yes get to see a bit more of that and I just love seeing his teeth in those uh, dressing room victory can't miss pictures. them can you yeah it's just great Great. He's one of them people, George, isn't he? Where I'm so glad that he's on our side because if he, exactly. he was, if he was with anyone else, you'd fucking hate him. Exactly he? that. He'd absolutely exactly that. hate him if he was with any other team. But because he's ours, he might be a shit house. He's but he's our, our shit house. house. And God bless him for absolutely. that. Absolutely. God bless him. Brilliant stuff. Right, lads. Let's wrap things up. I think we've uh, I think we've covered everything. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another special guest uh, and a bit of reflection on that Brighton game as well. Uh, and for now, thanks very much for listening to all of you out there. Remember, you can join uh, the Athletic for just one pound a month for the first six months right now at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. That's it from myself. And from George and Chris, thanks for your time, chaps. Uh, And well done, Newcastle United. Three points on the board after one game. We shall speak to you next week. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye-bye. Athletic.